I'm glad you're here. My name's Tim, and I have the, the joy and privilege of serving as one of the elders at Harvest. I'm filling in for Pastor Mike, who is uh, off today, so, um, but still at church. That's how awesome our pastor is. Open your Bibles to Psalm 21. We're going to continue uh, in our study of the Psalms. Last week, Pastor Mike led us through Psalm 20, and the big idea last week uh, was that we want to pray for more of Jesus. And that psalm focused our attention on praying and asking the Lord to move. Um, pray for more, pray for the kingdom to come, pray for Jesus to um, work in our lives. And so, interestingly enough, Psalm 21 is closely paired to Psalm 20, and I'll try to show you that real quickly. There's a few things that help tie them together. You've got some repeated words, trust, salvation, um, you've got some repeated structure. The beginning and ending of Psalm 20 uh, repeats some language. The beginning and ending of Psalm 21 repeats some language. So you get some, kind of some structural things. But the thing that really ties them together is that in chapter 20, verse 4, we have this prayer. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. And then in chapter 21, in verse 2, um, the psalmist repeats that. But this time, the prayer has been answered. You have given him his heart's desire. So what's happening in chapter 20 is that we're calling on the Lord. Verse 1 says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Verse 9 says, may he answer us when we call. There's this, um, the idea is of calling out to the Lord and waiting for his answer. And then in chapter 21, um, O Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices. And then in verse 13, uh, o Lord, in your strength, we will sing and praise your power. So what's happening in 21 is that the Lord has answered the prayers and the crying out of chapter 20. And so the theme is of rejoicing. When God acts, when God answers prayer, when he moves, the right response is to rejoice. Rejoice means to be glad or to celebrate. And so when God works, we should celebrate. We should be glad. If we believe that God is at work in this world, we have much reason to rejoice. So the title this morning is Rejoice. Um, rejoice is something that you get a chance to practice every Sunday. You come in, Charles and the musicians have prepared this plan they play the music. He's got the words on the screen. You get to follow along. No previous skill or pre-planning is required. You just show up. We tell you what to say. We play the music, and you get to rejoice. We, we've got it all ready for you. Every Sunday, you get to practice. Um, but we're going to do some specific rejoicing practice this morning. You guys feel prepared to practice this morning? It's just practice. It's just practice. Don't worry about it. Um, one, one, of the, one of the common moves you may see a rejoicer do is this one. Two hands up. So let's go. Get them up. Here we go. Practice. Just practice. I'm not forcing you to do anything. Just practice. Two hands up. You'll feel a little less weird if you like close your eyes. There you go. <laughs> Feels more like worship now. Sometimes you just get the one. Go ahead. Go ahead, one. There you go. Everyone's a little high. You got to get high because you don't want to be like half-hearted. 
You got to get up. We're rejoicing, praising the Lord. This, you might do this move when you get the thing on Christmas morning that you actually wanted. You might do the... Help, Brian Hellman's got it. Look at that. That's it, guys. That's the one right there. Rejoicing. Two hands up. Um, just practice. Um, some words are helpful, right? This is, the, this is the starter word. Amen. Let me hear you. It means let it be so. The thing that is said, I want that thing to happen. Let it be true. Let me hear you say amen. amen. Yes, Lord. That's right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, we want to do hands and praise the Lord. You guys ready? It's just practice. It's just practice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's so cool. God is good. That was nice. That was extra. I thought you were going to repeat. You guys had a planned thing. That's good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's good. It's just practice. We want to develop this muscle and uh, practice the skill of rejoicing. When the Lord acts, we want our response to be to rejoice. So the big idea this morning is this. The king rejoices in God's strength, and so should we. The king rejoices in God's strength, and so should we. Um, with an exclamation point. I like to pick on my wife. Um, I don't like to pick on my wife. Sometimes I pick on my wife. Um, for her texting uh, punctuation, um, there are many exclamation points in my wife's text. And sometimes she's driving or cooking, and she'll say, hey, can you pick up that and respond for me? And then I get to pretend to be Kate for a moment, and I get lots of exclamation points. So if you've ever gotten one that you thought, that's a lot of exclamation It could be me. <clears throat> that's probably concerning. I'm not on my wife's phone. You can text her. It's private. That probably will backfire. Sorry, Kate. I might have messed something up there. Uh, let me read. Let me stop talking and read chapter 21, 1 through 7. O oh Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips, for you meet him with rich blessings, and you set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, and you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence for the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. So the first question we want to ask is, who is the king? Um, so we know that Davis, uh, David is the writer. It's, we, t we learned that from the superscript before verse 1. Um, so it could be that David is speaking in third person. David speaking about himself. Um, it's possible there are... Uh, many rhetorical giants like Bob Dole and Ricky Henderson and Elmo have all used this tactic. And it's possible that David is speaking the third person. 
It's also possible that he's speaking about another king. You know, Saul was king before David, and then he knew his son towards the end of his life. He knew Solomon would be the king to follow him. He could be thinking about them. Most often, however, in this group of Psalms, which is 15 through 24, they're referred to as the royal Psalms. And most often, the kingly language is attributed to the coming Messiah, to Jesus. And Mike led us through Psalm 20 last week, looking at the language of king toward Jesus. And so um, it's probably and appropriately pointed towards Jesus. Next week in Psalm 22, we're going to look at um, a verse that Jesus actually applies to himself from the cross. And so Jesus himself is interpreting the language of this group of Psalms toward himself. But today it's actually not critical who the king is. Because the focus of the psalm is the king is rejoicing in the Lord for the Lord's strength. And so our focus also is on the Lord and his strength. The first point this morning is this. Rejoice in what God has done. Verses 1 through 7. Rejoice in what God has done. Notice this psalm is talking about what... God has done. You got two main ways that we are led into worship and praise, especially in the Psalms. One of them is um, for who God is. Sometimes we think of that as like his character, or you might think of that as the face of God. And we can praise and worship when we think about who God is. But then the other lane that you might see in the Psalms and throughout the scriptures is what God does. You might think of that as his hands at work in the world, or to use the Hebrew language, his arm, which is mighty to save. In this psalm, we're thinking about the strength that God has shown, the things that he has done. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 119, 68, combines them both and says, Oh Lord, you are good and you do good. You have this character about you and you act on that character. And so, That's a prayer or a praise that um, I like to pray back to the Lord regularly, and I'd encourage you to do that. Oh, Lord, you are good, and you do good. But the focus this morning from chapter 21 is on the doing good, the strength of the Lord, his hand. So what has he done? Verse 1, oh, Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices, and in your salvation, how greatly he exalts. So the first thing we see is that God has saved. He has saved Israel. He has saved us. He saved you individually, personally. And he saved the whole world. God has saved. There's a reason this tops the list, because without list, without this one salvation, um, there's no list. You must first be saved. God's saving arm defined and produced the nation of Israel. Their very identity as a nation was in the one that God rescued from the nation of Egypt. Their existence was built on this idea that God saved us. We are a rescued and a saved people. Likewise, God's salvation defines and produced the church, all of us. It is our Salvation. It is those of us that are non-Jewish. This is how we were welcomed into the family of God. We were saved by Jesus' love, demonstrated on the cross. And that salvation 
is at the top of the list for us. In fact, you can't rejoice until you're saved. If you have not been saved by God and rescued by his love, then you are in peril and despair, and you can't rejoice yet. But when you are saved, you can rejoice. And so the list of how do we praise God, how do we rejoice in God's strength, that list begins with salvation. God's act of saving leads to the first rejoicing or the first gladness. Can you remember where you were and what you were thinking and what it felt like when you first surrendered your life to the Lord? When you first received the forgiveness of sin? When you first gave him the keys and said, I don't want to drive this car anymore. I want you to drive it. Lord, I am better off in your hands than me being in control in my life. Do you remember the joy, the gladness that came into your soul when you were saved? You should. It will produce in you rejoicing. I think it's a practice you should go back to regularly in your prayer life is that you go back to that time and remember where it all began for you. Who told you about the Lord, what you thought about the Lord, the way that you felt when you first gave the Lord the keys to your life. It's tremendous fuel for gladness. Now, maybe you haven't experienced that yet, and I hope that part of my explanation of that makes you hunger and thirst for that type of freedom and joy that the Lord wants to offer you. Maybe you have experienced it, but because of sin or hardship in your life, those feelings and memories have been obscured over time. Well, I'd commend to you what David prays in Psalm 51. Remember, David had gone through a season of really damaging sin in his own life, um, an adulterous relationship, uh, conspiracy to murder. Um, so he's feeling very much separated from the Lord. You know what he prays in Psalm 51? Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He knew he had lost his grip on the joy of his salvation. And so he asked the Lord to restore it. So maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe the prayer that you want to be praying this week is, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation that I might well up with gladness again for all that you have done for me. I want you to be glad. The Lord wants you to be glad. We should be a people that is characterized by our gladness. And so if your gladness has been obscured, then ask the Lord to restore the joy of your salvation. Another reason the king is glad and rejoices is answered prayer. I mentioned this in the introduction, verse 2. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Answered prayer should and will lead you to rejoicing. It acknowledges that God is strong enough to answer. He is strong enough to act in your life. He's strong enough to respond to your specific requests. It was, a, uh, it was, a, it was sort of a wild week for me. Um, 
the Lord answered some very dramatic prayer requests for me this week, and I think it in sort of an unusual way. Uh, one of them was something I had been praying for for a long time, uh, and then it happened. The Lord answered that prayer. Another one was something I had not prayed about at all. It was a momentary uh, mini crisis that I found myself in, and I was like, Lord, please. And then he showed up, and he did. And so I was immediately filled with gladness. In that second situation, I wasn't around any believers, but I was like, I got to tell somebody anyway. So I just told him anyway. I was like, I don't know if you know, but I was praying for this, and the Lord answered that prayer. And they kind of looked at me side-eye, but that's okay, because I felt like I was rejoicing. I needed to rejoice publicly that I believe, the, I give the Lord credit for this answered prayer. Um, nothing fuels prayer or praise like answered prayers. Now, we've talked and we'll talk again about when the Lord doesn't answer prayer. And that's a whole category and maybe a whole sermon unto itself. But today, I want you to be thinking about, but when he does, when he has, he has answered prayer in your life. And you can look back on those and remind yourself of those things and fuel rejoicing. Here's just a few things that I think I've learned uh, in, in my time walking with the Lord. Pray specifically for the thing that you want the Lord to do. But leave room for him to answer that prayer in whatever way he wants. And oftentimes it's not the way you think that he's going to answer it. But pray specifically and then leave room for the Lord to do what he wants to do in that situation. Secondly, be prepared to pray for long seasons. We, we want him to answer immediately and sometimes he does. But oftentimes he doesn't because he's doing something in your own life. and he's, That takes some time. So be prepared to pray for something for a long season. Um, and then thirdly, remember and tell people when he has answered your prayer. Small group is really helpful in this way. You, you're in small group every week and you're praying with the people in your small group about something that's precious to you or heavy to you and weeks and months go by. And then finally there's resolution or answer or that thing goes away or that thing is resolved and you say, the Lord answered that prayer. Well, inevitably, six months from now, you'll forget that the Lord answered that prayer and the people in your small group will remind you. Remember when we prayed for that thing for six months and then finally the Lord answered it? You can trust him in this situation now too. So talk about your answered prayers. Acknowledge the Lord's activity before others and allow them to remind you and encourage you so that that is fueling rejoicing in your life. Fueling gladness, knowing that the Lord does answer prayer. He might not be answering the one I'm praying right now, but I remember when he answered prayer. One thing I'd love for you to discuss in your small groups this week and to chew on is how do we match the intensity of our rejoicing over answered prayers with the intensity of our praying through hard things. We're selfish people. So when we find ourselves in a crack or in a difficult situation or in a hard time, we pray hard, right? I know you do. You're on your knees, you're shedding tears, you're weeping before the Lord, you're begging the Lord, and you're praying morning and night. And every time you pause, you're, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. Well, when he answers that prayer, how do we match the intensity of our praying 
with our intensity over our rejoicing. The Lord did it. He answered that prayer. We prayed. We poured out our guts. We cried before the Lord. We talked about it regularly. And he did it. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure I know how to do it very well. It's a difficult thing to match the intensity of our rejoicing to the intensity of our praying. So I think that's a helpful thing for you to discuss in small groups this week or um, over lunch today and think about how do we do that better. A third way from the text that we rejoice in God's strength is recognizing that he is the giver of all blessings. Look at verse 3. For you, Lord, meet him, the king, with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. Here's a question. Do you see every blessing as an act of God's strength in your life? You can. You can attribute every good thing in your life to God's kindness and his strength. He is the one that gives good gifts to you. And when you credit him for giving good gifts, it will fuel in you joy and gladness. You will rejoice more when you give God credit for all the blessings you have. And then I think this is cool. Look at verse 6. For you make him most blessed forever. You might have a superscript there that takes you down to a footnote. An alternative translation or one way that the Hebrew can be rendered here could be, or make him a source of blessing forever. So not only does God bless by his strength, but he has the strength to make you a blessing to the people around you. And you say, well, I don't feel like a blessing. The Lord has the strength to make you a blessing to the people around you. He blesses you so that you can be a blessing to the people around you. And I pray that way for my family. I pray that way for Kate. Not only do I pray that she would have good things in her day, but that she would give good things, that she would have ministry, that she would pour out to others. Because I know if she's pouring out to others, that's a deeper type of blessing for her than just receiving from others. And you want that for your life. You want to take the blessings the Lord has given you and make yourself a source of blessing to the other. And God is strong enough to do that in your life. These things lead to deep joy. These are specific ways we can rejoice in what God has done. He's saved you. He's answered prayers. He's made you a blessing. He's given you blessings. Now, verse 7 is the hinge point in chapter 21. It's a hinge because it begins to look forward instead of backwards. And it's also this very interesting summary which I feel like is a, is a statement of very practical theology. Verse 7, For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Do you see how that works, how it's practical in nature? The king trusts in the Lord, and by the love of God, and by his strength, he keeps the king from being moved. He protects the king. He provides the king. He uh, keeps him from being shaken by the, by the forces at work around him that want to shake him. He trusts the Lord, and the Lord takes care of the king. That's enough theology for your week. You trust the Lord, and by his love, he will keep you from being moved. So, in verse 7, we begin to look forward 
to what God will do, which brings us to the second point, which is rejoice in what God will do. Rejoice in what God has done. Rejoice in what God will do. Um, let me read verses 8 through 12. You ready? Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. One way strength is displayed is in defeat of one's enemies. Now, this is language of an ancient king whose culture was of war and conquest. David had real enemies. Foreign nations and factions that wanted to kill him and kill his people. The language is fairly graphic. But one real way that David saw God's strength was in defeat of his enemies. His life was in danger, and he was praying that God would protect him. And in these verses, he is looking forward to the reality that God is strong enough to defeat my enemies, which is cause for rejoicing. If your enemies are coming after you and you believe God is powerful enough to defeat them, then that's another reason to rejoice in what God will do. The reality here is that God will win and that the enemies will ultimately lose. And that's a cause for rejoicing. If you find yourself threatened, worried, fearful, attacked, you are comforted by the knowledge and reality that God will win. God will defeat these enemies. They will not succeed. Now, let me help us work through this difficult language here. Remember Ephesians chapter 6. In the New Testament, Paul tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemies are not human flesh and blood. Our enemies are not people. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against spiritual forces of wickedness, principalities, powers, those that have authority in high places. God's enemies are not people, but are spiritual forces of evil. Jesus, on the cross, conquered those forces of evil and darkness. And so perhaps what David is doing here is not just looking in the nearsighted lens of his enemies that actually seek his life, but he's looking in the long-range lens of the coming Messiah who would come and defeat enemies that are much greater than swords and bows and arrows and horses. But he's thinking about the real enemies that threaten humanity, sin, death, and hell. God's strength to defeat those enemies should lead us to rejoice. 
Now, verse 12 is, I think, the most graphic. But remember, the enemies are not people. The enemies are spiritual powers that lie and deceive and manipulate people. Verse 12, for you will put them to flight. Literally, you will turn their shoulder. You will make them turn their back. You will run them off. You will aim at their faces with your bows. It's graphic, I know. Um, This is actually not a very good battle tactic to aim at your enemy's face with a bow and arrow. This is the language of humiliation. This is the language of an enemy that is so defeated and humiliated that the warrior is bold enough to aim at the face. This is like God saying to his enemies, get off my lawn. You're defeated. Why don't you get out of here? He has humiliated them. This is the same thing that Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. Let me turn there real quick. When he is describing what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, this is the language that Paul uses. He talks about how Jesus canceled the debt that the law Um, held against us and he nailed it to the cross and then verse 15 of chapter 2 he says this he being Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them Jesus humiliated the powers the spiritual forces of darkness he embarrassed them on the cross In front of an onlooking world, he humiliated them and said, now y'all go on and get out of here. You've been defeated. Which is the same idea that David has in chapter 21 with this graphic war language. That the enemies that you have are are not the people in your life. Your neighbor that hates you, your coworker that cheats you, the... Um, people that are talking bad about you and creating strife in your life are not your enemies, but the lies of the evil one that are deceiving them, those are the enemies. Um, Sin, death, and hell are the enemy, and Jesus has defeated them. So what David is looking forward to, what God will do in chapter 21 of Psalms, is what you are looking back to on the cross that Jesus has done. He's defeated the enemies. He is strong enough to defeat enemies, and Jesus has done it on the cross, and he's still doing it in your life. So Jesus is working out in your life this defeat of the spiritual forces in dark places. As you carry your love through this world, the love of God is defeating the enemies. Remember what verse 7 said. The king trusts in the Lord and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. How does God choose to show his strength? Through his love. And David is writing many years before Jesus would make this great display of love on the cross that defeated enemies. And so I hope that you will rejoice in what God will do what he has done in the cross and what he will do in your life in defeating enemies 
as you are confident that he is strong enough to defeat them. And the final point this morning comes from verse 13. And that is to rejoice together. Verse 13 says this, Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. A repeat of verse 1, bookending the um, chapter and making clear what the author's intent is. And then the result, we will sing and praise your power. So it has become corporate. It has become public. And it has expanded in um, the number of people involved. And so as we sit here in the church this morning, we move through this progression of praising the Lord, rejoicing in what he has done, rejoicing in what he will do. And the result is that corporately we rejoice together. Let us be a people that is characterized by our gladness, by our laughter, by our joy, by our ability to have intense rejoicing, commensurate with our intense praying, and that we would be filled with joy over all that God has done and that we would do it together. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for the wisdom and truth in Psalm 21. Thank you for calling us to rejoice. Thank you for demonstrating for us how to rejoice. Thank you for reminding us that we have much to rejoice in, having been saved having prayers answered, having received blessings, having been made to be a blessing to others. Lord, as David looked forward to what you would do in defeating the enemies, we look backwards to the cross at what Jesus did in defeating, in defeating the enemies. And we know that we carry that out as we carry your love with us every day. Through your love, we will not be moved. And through your love, the enemies continue to be defeated. And so I pray that we would, by your love, defeat the enemies of sin, death, and the grave in the lives of the people around us and in our relationships as we carry forward your love. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the way that we rejoice together. Thank you for the way that they do rejoice with intensity over answered prayers and glory stories. Thank you for the opportunity to come and every Sunday practice rejoicing with one another that we may grow that muscle stronger and stronger and become more skilled at rejoicing in your strength. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.